0: KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at TrustYourHomeToUs.com.
1: Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Tuesday, December 6th. A local biologist's own experience helps him understand the science of deafness. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Governor Newsom says he's fed up with high gas prices at the pumps, while oil companies make record profits. Monday, state lawmakers answered the governor's call in a special legislative session. The proposed law would set a maximum profit margin that oil companies could make per gallon and would impose a penalty if oil companies exceed that amount. Officials with the Western States Petroleum Association say that is a tax on oil companies that will drive prices higher. They say gas prices are driven by market forces. Lawmakers likely won't begin deliberations on the proposal until January. Dozens of old San Diego trolley cars are headed to South America. For the last decade, MTS has been sending old trolley cars to Mendoza, Argentina to help expand trolley services out there. It started in 2012 with first-generation trolleys, and now nearly all of MTS's second-generation trolleys are on their way to a second life. Officials in Mendoza say the first-generation trolleys are still running great, and they've kept their signature red paint job. They will be getting 39 more trolleys when this shipment arrives. Argentina is covering the cost of dismantling and shipping the trolley cars to Mendoza. The teams playing in the 43rd holiday bowl game this month have officially been announced. The University of Oregon will be taking on the University of North Carolina at Petco Park. The bowl game will be the first football game ever played at Petco Park. The game is on Wednesday, December 28th. It'll be the first holiday bowl played since the pandemic started. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need.
0: KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a blend of computer science, statistics, and domain expertise. Learn more about University of California San Diego's online Master of Data Science program at omds.ucsd.edu.
1: At the Salk Institute, there is one researcher who is able to see himself in the genetic science he does. KPBS SciTech reporter Thomas Fudge has this story about a biologist whose own experience gives him a deep understanding of the science and the culture of deafness.
2: Uri Manner does more than one thing at the Salk Institute. On one hand, he's a specialist in microscopic photography. Recently, he showed me a hallway near his office that is lined with his photos of cells. One photo shows so-called hair cells that inhabit the inner ear and vibrate in response to sound, sending signals to the auditory nerve. Problems with those cells can cause deafness, and that is what manner a cell biologist, studies in his lab.
3: You can imagine, then, that just a little alteration in the instructions, which is the DNA, on how to construct that hair can cause it to have a different enough shape that it no longer functions properly.
2: Uri Manor has been profoundly hard of hearing since birth. He has never been able to hear properly without hearing aids, something his parents realized when he was two years old and still could not talk. And though he's not deaf, he kind of knows what it's like.
3: You know, as someone who wears hearing aids, I actually kind of go back and forth between the two worlds of deaf and hearing because when I turn my hearing aids off, it's over. I don't hear you anymore.
2: Deafness and being hard of hearing takes many forms. We all lose hearing with age. Loud music and our noisy mechanized society also damage hearing. Manner inherited from his parents, who were not hard of hearing, the genes for profound congenital hearing loss a member of Manner's lab, research scientist David Rosenberg lost his hearing in one ear. He remembers when it happened in college.
3: I was sitting for a physics exam and heard this very loud ringing. Turns out that the ringing was coming from my, from my head, from my ear, and it was the first sort of symptom I had of a vestibular schwannoma
2: meaning a tumor had developed on his auditory nerve. It was surgically removed, but by then he had basically lost hearing in his right ear. Rosenberg and Manor are now writing a grant proposal to fund research that could find a way to prevent the growth or even shrink those tumors by implanting in people a working copy of a crucial gene.
0: Hi, Ada. Hi,
1: Ada. Hi, big girl.
2: A video produced by the Mayo Clinic shows a woman holding her deaf baby who has had its cochlear implant turned on for the first time, allowing it to hear its parents' voices. The baby smiles. Manner, the father of four kids, says seeing a similar video caused him to break down in tears. But he says some reactions to it on social media were very negative, including one who called it cultural genocide. It's a common term that suggests efforts to cure deafness are undermining a community that has its own language and ways. The California Association for the Deaf didn't respond to my effort to get them to comment. Manner says for deaf people, sign language, the culture, and the community.
3: For many of them, it's been a lifesaver. They join a deaf community and then they have this whole world of technology and language and people who understand them. Many of them feel that, you know, this idea of curing or uh, treating or whatever, or even calling them disabled, is offensive.
2: Manner says he's become careful to say he is not trying to cure deafness. He's trying to give people the option to be able to hear. Babies these days don't have to wait until they're two years old for their parents to realize they are functionally deaf. Tests are done on newborns.
3: Yeah, I have pictures of my daughters in the hospital wearing special headphones that can measure whether their ears are working properly.
2: Manner says the gene mutations that cause deafness are recessive, which means kids have to get them from both parents to be affected. Manner says none of his kids are hard of hearing. Thomas Fudge, KPBS News.
1: Facing staffing shortages, the City of San Diego's ambulance provider, Falck, is offering sign-on bonuses. KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman says the incentive comes ahead of an expected busy season for hospitals.
4: Our goal is to try to fill all of the openings as soon as possible.
1: Falk
0: San Diego's managing director Jeff Baim, says he knows staffing levels are not what they promised. It's impacting response times, so they're upping their game to attract new paramedics in the city of San Diego. $50,000 sign-on bonuses are being offered for new paramedics. It would be spread out over three years, and it's larger than the $15,000 bonuses offered by their competitor, American Medical Response.
4: It's a competition because there's a limited pool, especially in the immediate area around San Diego. So we just looked to look at it and said, you know, we need to increase that to try to get folks to consider coming over to Fallon.
0: Fame says they need around 30 paramedics to ease the burden on current employees who are under mandatory overtime. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News.
1: The San Diego Police Department started enforcing the sidewalk vendor ordinance this past weekend. So how did it go? KPBS reporter Melissa May went down to the Gaslamp District to get an update. Since 2019, the Gaslamp District was dealing with up to 60 hot dog vendors crowding the sidewalks of San Diego's historic district. The San Diego Police Department started enforcing the sidewalk vendor ordinance over the weekend. Michael Trimble is the executive director of the Gaslamp Quarter Association and says businesses saw fewer vendors on the street.
0: This is not the end of enforcement, but this is just the beginning. The free ride for illegal vending is over in the gas lamp, and the police department is going to continue to enforce every weekend moving
1: forward. We asked the San Diego Police Department how many citations were issued over the weekend. They said they didn't have a number yet. Melissa May, KPBS News. Coming up, two authors talk about why they wrote a training guide on running, We'll have that story and more just after the break.
0: KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.
1: New research out of San Diego finds there's a critical link between islands and the oceans that surround them. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson spoke with one of the authors. A Scripps
2: Institution of Oceanography report suggests that biologists should change the way they think about island habitats. San Diego researcher Stuart Sandin is a co-author. He says above-water and below-water habitats should be viewed as linked ecosystems, not separate ones. Sandin says seabirds are just one of the connector species that tie the two together
0: where if the population of seabirds is small, that connection is, is small. And if the population is large, we may see a lot more connectivity of these nutrients going from land to sea.
2: Sandon says managing them as connected ecosystems will help island habitats thrive. Findings are published in the current edition of the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Eric Anderson, KPBS News.
1: Christopher McDougall wrote the book Born to Run in 2009 after hearing about runners from Mexican tribes competing in an American ultramarathon. He followed them back to Mexico's Copper Canyon to find out how they ran so far so effortlessly. He also wanted to understand why, as a runner himself, he suffered many injuries. McDougall has now published a sequel with co-author and running coach Eric Orton called Born to Run 2. The Ultimate Training Guide. McDougal and Orton spoke with KPBS arts producer and editor Julia Dixon Evans about their book. Here's their conversation.
5: So, Christopher, Born to Run Two is an illustrated guide rather than purely narrative or reporting. What made you want to publish this as the follow-up to Born to Run?
6: I felt that there was so much information that I was reluctant to say when I originally wrote Born to Run because I wasn't convinced I really knew what I was talking about. At the time I wrote Born to Run, I was writing it from a perspective of an injured ex-runner who had been sort of coached back to health by this traditional uh, lifestyle and approach, but I didn't have enough miles on the vehicle to know if it really worked. And now, you know, 15 years later, I can look back and go, oh, yeah, yeah, that approach really worked. And I felt it was time to share it with other people.
5: Can you take us back to the first book and who the Tarahumara or Raramuri people are?
6: Yeah, the Raramuri are an indigenous culture who lives deep in the Copper Canyons of Mexico. And they made a pretty profound life choice about 600 years ago when the conquistadors first invaded the Americas, so, you know the Mayans and the Aztecs fought back and largely disappeared. But the Tarahumara did the opposite; they just retreated deep into these canyons and remained in isolation ever since. So to this day, the Raramari or Tarahumara, as they're both called, live a lifestyle that is really reminiscent of the way they have for hundreds of years, and that is a lifestyle based on running long distances through a really inhospitable terrain. But what what's so startling for me when I, when I heard about the Darumata and got a chance to visit them was seeing people who were like 70, 80 years old wearing thin little homemade sandals running for 60, 70 miles at a time. And I started to ask myself, well, what are they doing different? You know, if running is bad for the body, if it's supposed to break down your knees, well, how come their knees aren't breaking down? How come it's not bad for their bodies? And that's what really opened my eyes to the potential that could be learned from the way they live.
5: Eric, you're a coach and you appeared in the first book as a character. How did you decide what needed to be in the second book?
4: Oh, I got a call from Chris um, last September and we started discussing this idea and both Chris and I hear from runners all over the world about, you know, how, how do you put this all together? How did you do it, Chris? How did you go down to the Copper Canyon and run 50 miles when you were a broken down runner? And he gave a lot of people a lot of hope. And, you know, as, as Chris is alluding to, you know, running is a magic pill and it can be a magic pill for a lot of reasons. And this is what's really built into Born to Run too.
5: And one thing in the first few pages of this new book is this idea of the run free feeling, uh, which it seems like it's more than just shoes or no shoes. Eric, can you talk about what that means?
4: Yeah, it really starts with the foundation, I believe, with running and with athleticism. Athleticism is awareness. And we really wanted with everything we did in the book, there's always a component of really trying to get the runner, the athlete to begin to feel what good is, begin to feel good form and how good the body can feel when it eats the right types of foods, and how good running can be. And Chris is a perfect example. He's 15 years later from the original Born to Run, and he's a better runner today than he was back then.
5: Eric, in terms of what is included in the guide sections of this book, how are you envisioning people reading and using this book practically?
4: And I think the best start is to read through the book in in its entirety and, and read all the way through it. And then maybe go back and reread the 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 chapters that include the the free seven which is the kind of the nuts and bolts of of the program and at the end which is a 90-day program so you're kind of going back and revisiting um, after reading through the whole book and then I think it's really goes to kind of setting a a day for yourself where when you're going to start the 90-day program and Maybe corral some of your buddies and your friends to all start at the same day. So you guys are all doing the same workout beginning at the same day and have, have a great camaraderie and, and teamwork that goes into the 90-day program.
5: And Eric, do you have practical tips, those, those uh, nuts and bolts for someone who may want to get started or a, a runner who feels like they're frequently injured?
4: Yeah, I I think run form is kind of the big foundation. And in the book, we talk about how we can really fix your run form in five minutes. And it's so easy to learn. And we do that by just simply standing in front of a wall, turning on the song Rock Lobster by the B-52s and running in place barefoot.
1: That was Eric Orton and Christopher McDougall, authors of Born to Run 2, speaking with KPBS arts producer Julia Dixon-Evans. They are holding a virtual event with Warwick's Books at 4 p.m. today. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great day.